Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. All right, open your Bibles if you would. Oh, Children's Church, yeah. You guys can head on out. Follow the young man who's waving. There you go. Good job. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews, and we're going to continue on what we've talked about. Um, Did you sense the presence of the Lord in that? Good. Thank you, Father. All right, um, Hebrews. I think we should change the name of our cafe to Hebrews. Okay. He, brews, coffee, he, okay. Just making sure you're all with me. All right. little levity to ease the tension. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, quick thing. We're, we're on this uh, overall yearly thing of pursue, right? And we've pursued a few things. Uh, right now, uh, in this time, we're pursuing faith. And, and what does that look like? Uh, we're going to be shifting a little bit after this. And um, one of the things that was not on the uh, docket to, to do in, in pursue, but now is, is uh, next month we'll be doing pursuing church. And so um, I'm excited about that one too. Okay. I'm excited about it all. Um, Okay, I'll say it. Um, so, also in the fall at some point, uh, I'm not sure exactly the details of the time or the day that it's going to be on, but um, some of you know that we've been doing things of healing and we've been doing things of deliverance the last, well, probably a couple years we've been going through it. And so, uh, this next thing we're going to be going through, and it's, it, we're going to be going through spiritual warfare. I'm going to be teaching a class on that, and I'm going to... Um, go from the beginning of everything uh, about spiritual warfare and, uh, and take it through to its end. And so some of my objectives of that are going to be spiritual warfare. You have to know how to fight for you before you can know how to fight for somebody else. And so a lot of the reasons our spiritual warfare is weak in the things that we're trying to do in the community is because we're struggling so much inside of our, our, ourselves and, and losing what we feel like we're losing some of the battles inside of us. And so we have to know how to war for us before we can go out in war uh, for other things. And um, I've gone out in warfare and, and gotten my tail licked a few times because I wasn't properly prepared. And so um, it's important to understand that um, spiritual warfare is very important. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. And although the devil hasn't won the war, he's lost, he's still fighting battles, and he's not maybe fighting battles for heaven and hell issues for you, but what he is fighting is to keep you satisfied where you are and not moving forward and progressing in anything else. And the biggest problem we have in the church today is us. (laughs) Remember that we have met the enemy and he is us, right? So what the problem is a lot of times when we're talking about spiritual warfare is, is we don't know how to fight for us which makes it hard to come to a prayer meeting because we don't even know what to pray because we're struggling so much on the inside. So we're going to take care of those issues. We're going we're gonna to go right back to the beginning and start a foundation of, of true biblical spiritual warfare here in the fall. And uh, man, we're going to let the Lord light a fire under us. Amen? Okay, good. So 
Put that in the old mental Rolodex, and uh, there'll be more information to come out. Okay, uh, so we've been talking about faith. Uh, um, Man, it's good stuff, isn't it, the Bible? You know? It's good stuff. We should be reading it a lot, right? We should, we should, uh, we should be putting the remote down more and picking up the book, right? Or putting the remote down a lot and picking up the book a lot, All right? However that works out, you figure it out. Okay, the Bible is good. Uh, the Bible is the standard for everything that we believe. It's our faith, right? The Spirit of God is as well. And so when the Bible, when you're reading things from the Bible and something touches your heart, that is literally the spirit of God taking the word of God and touching you with it and what he's saying with that is like change change okay and so that's that's not a bad thing that's the Lord growing you and so the problem is that sometimes we resist that we're like oh that was cool that felt kind of felt kind of nice right get a, get a little goose bump on the back of my neck it was awesome right and then we go out and we act like we never got it or received it, right? It's like it goes in one ear and it's like stays there for a little second and it goes right out the other one. Uh, the problem is, is the word of God is not supposed to do that. Bad thoughts in the enemy are supposed to do that, supposed to go in one ear and out the other. The, the, the word of God is, is alive and supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be meditating on that day and night, as the Psalms would tell us, right? And so it's the meditation of the word. Have you ever... Um, Woken up out of a sleep in a spiritual battle? Faith, this is connected. So uh, I've, wo- I've woken, woken up out of dreams, battling something in my dreams and coming up out of my bed. So I've trans- come from sleep into consciousness, binding or loosing or whatever needed to be done in that moment, right? Is it just me? Anybody else? Bueller? Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, so there's been some times when, uh, so uh, you, you've got to understand that the Spirit of God, sometimes it doesn't matter if you're asleep or awake, because <laughs> he speaks to you in dreams and visions, okay? So when you lay your head down to go to sleep, ask the Lord to remind you of whatever dreams he's given you, because sometimes we wake up and we have no idea what happened. Ask the Lord to remind you of the dreams that he's given you while you're sleeping. And as a matter of fact, before you go to bed, Put some scripture in your spirit. Because I don't know if you know this, but the enemy is released during the nighttime to harass you. Yeah. See, your spiritual battle doesn't begin and start here. Your spiritual battle starts when you leave this place and go home. Okay? And so, and when you're sleeping in the middle of the night, you know, uh, Covens, witches, all these different kinds of things. Their their whole idea is to release demonic forces to harass Christians. Anybody wrestle with sleeplessness? Sometimes this can be a spiritual condition. The Word of God says, "He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee." You should be resting well. And so, if this is a spiritual thing or a spiritual attack, you got power over that. You don't have to lay there and take that. Amen, Steve. We're on it. Okay. <laughs> We're going to put that in our ear and as soon as we leave. Okay. All right. See, this is all tied to your faith. Do you believe it or do you don't believe it? Because you're, it determines on what you do with it as to whether you really believe it or not. 
Okay. Well, I got faith. What are you doing with it? All right, so let's look at this. Because we're going through this long list of Hebrews chapter 11 of all these people, and he's saying, oh, man, their faith awesome, all these different kinds of things that they're talking about. And so we talked about Abraham, right? When was the last time you moved? I'm not talking about selling your house and moving. When was the last time you heard from God and you moved on that word? Another thing that destroys your faith is being comfortable and being fat and happy. Some of my favorite holidays are Thanksgiving. Big old turkey, right? That can be fine in the physical, but it shouldn't be like that in the spiritual. Our faith should be moving us, should be prodding us to, in a direction. And so as the church, we should be recognizing what that direction is and moving by faith together towards it. Now, this is simple, this is, not, this is not deep stuff whatsoever. This is, this is just simple stuff. The question is, is are we moving in that direction or are we sitting like spiritually obese Christians at a buffet table eating everything of the word but not digesting it or not letting it change us? One of the things I love from that Wednesday night class is when Francis Chan was saying, he's like, you know, the Lord is not gonna ask me how many Bible studies I did on his commands. And ask you if you were if you did what he said. John Bevere would say it this way, you're not going to be judged on what you did, you're going to be judged on what you're called to do. Woo! Let's just repent and start all over, right? <laughs> so our faith is is supposed to be alive. It should be, it should be the, our, our spiritual lifeblood. It should be coursing through our spirit. It should be bringing everything to our spiritual body, right? As the blood in our body brings oxygen and does whatever all you medical people know, does all the other stuff it's supposed to do in the body, so does faith to our spiritual man. It should be coursing through us. It should be alive. All right. So as we talked about Abraham, right, he gets a word from God and says, get out of your country, leave everything, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Okay. Right? Okay. Now, he may have not done exactly everything the exact same way, but he, he, you know, he, was, he was pretty close. He went through some things for it, but, you know, I want you to get out of your family. I want you to go to another place. And the Bible says to them that he obeyed and he went out to the place to receive an inheritance, right? When was the last time our faith moved us? See, here's the problem. A lot of times we have dreams and visions and because we lack faith to do it, instead of being convicted by our faithlessness, we'll look at other people to blame for us not moving. And we'd be critical of everything else. What it really is is a conviction of the Holy Spirit because I haven't done anything with what God has called me to do and, and laid a hold of it by faith. See, it's much easier to be critical of other people and blame them for our own mess than to take responsibility sometimes. And it can become very easy to do that. And this is, this is where you get 
dissensions and factions in the church and all this and people, you know, or I don't like this or Steve's not this or they're not that or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more. Right? When the underlying thing of it could be really us, I'm so unsatisfied. I'm so, my needs aren't being met. I'm so, there's, it, it feels like I'm dying in here when the reality of it is because your faith is not really alive, because your faith is not moving you in a direction. And you're more afraid about the direction than you are about being stagnant. Oh, excuse me. I don't know why. I'm just supposed to have this in my hand when I talk to you today. Doesn't have to make sense to me. Okay. All right. We talked about Noah, right? Right? Building an ark, 100 years, people laughing and mocking at him the whole time. But he wasn't going to listen to... He wasn't going to listen to the mockers. He was going to do what his father called us to do, right? This is a little review. So what are we doing? If you're not even activated, activated your faith yet in what God has called you to do, you, you, can't even, you haven't even gotten to the mocking part yet. See, once you activate your faith and plot your course, it does not get better for you. It does not. I've, I've, I've read the Bible a lot of times and looked at a lot of stories and just about everybody that I've seen that entered what God had called them to do, it got worse. And sometimes we're so afraid of the getting worse part that that doesn't keep us from moving. But let me tell you, that's how you know your faith is alive when you're now coming up against op- opposition to you. Most of us are like, man, I feel oppressed by the devil. I don't know why, because he's got you right where he wants you. Not moving and not progressing. You're not facing the devil. You're calling the conviction of the Holy Spirit harassment. Right? And so we gotta, we gotta, we gotta switch that. The, the devil is probably not very interested in you anymore if you're not progressing in your faith, because you're not a threat at all. I'm talking, I'm not just like, picking on you. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Okay, so hear my heart. And so we, we want to, and so we want to go out and, and fight battles, but you ain't got no armor. We don't know the word really well, and we don't know how to fight for ourselves. Our faith is weak sometimes. All right, so, uh, so that's enough of the review. Let's go on to verse 17. So he's gone through here and he's like, you know, he's talking to the Hebrews and he's like, he really wants them to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The lambs of the, the, the funny white little lambs uh, versus the Lamb of God, right? And he's saying, okay, now we, we used to slaughter all these lambs that were leading up to the slaughter of the one. And so now we don't have to do these things anymore. We have one who suffered for all, right? And so all you've got to do, I mean, it sounds easy, but all you've got to do is, is give up everything in your life and follow Jesus. Isn't that so much easier than having to slaughter lambs now? Isn't that great? Just give everything away and follow the Lord. That's all you've got to do. 
But he's saying is that all these things that we used to do that you were counting on for your holiness, is, that's not, it, it doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, all these things that were happening in the Old Testament were pointing to what Jesus was, what the Father was going to do forever. So when you go up into heaven, I firmly believe that you're going to be, you're, and you come before Jesus, you're, you're going to see nailed, scarred hands. Nail pierced feet. I do. Thomas did. Here are my hands, Thomas. That's a resurrected body. Why? So you're never going to forget throughout all of eternity what he did for us. That's good. Okay. So he's going through, and he's like, hey, listen, let's talk about, let's talk about, we'll go all the way back to Abel, we'll talk about Enoch, we'll talk about Noah, we'll talk about Abraham, and he's bringing all these people up that all these good Hebrews would have known since childhood. They'd gone to their little <coughs> Sunday school, Sabbath synagogue, right? Um, and so they would have been learning about their fathers and faith and all this different kinds of stuff. And what he's saying is that that, that, that faith is real, and that faith is true, and that faith is, is that faith that they had was really alive. It's not that the new covenant now violates and you have no meaning about their faith anymore. It's that their faith was so strong that they were believing in something that they were never going to see on the physical earth. But they never stopped believing it. And from that, they gained a good testimony from it. Okay? And so as he's looking at this, he's going through. He's like, hey, listen, man, they all died in faith. Haven't received, <coughs> haven't received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, right? Without seeing the promises, but they saw them from a distance. Greeted them, confessed them. They were foreigners and temporary residents of earth. <coughs> and I think there's another thing we really got to get going on in our, in our minds is that this earth is not our home. So we need to stop trying to lay up for ourselves treasures in a place that's going to burn anyway. Or when you die, you're not going to take it with you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't leave an inheritance for your children. That's not what I'm talking about. But we, we strive and contend for dust. And he's saying, listen, I want you to strive, to strive and contend for spiritual things. Let this blow your mind as, as we're reading this. Um. By faith, Abraham, right? So now he's gone through this list and Abraham was about the fourth one down, but now he's coming back to him because he said he believed, right? And he's going down. And now all of a sudden, he said, now Abraham, when he was tested, right? Because it didn't get better for him right away. But he wasn't counting on it to get better in this world or circumstances to evidently just change all of a sudden. What he was counting on was what the father told him about. This is what I'm going to do for you. Make a nation out of you, man. You're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You have to expect that in our limited time on earth, you may not see everything that the Lord has promised, but that doesn't mean he's not going to fulfill it. Especially through your sons and daughters. Or spiritual sons and daughters. All right. <clears throat> he received the promises as he was offering his unique son or begotten son, whatever your thing says. It, the, the one it had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God able to even to raise someone from the dead. Uh, as an illustration, he received, the, he received him back. So <clears throat> what is he saying? 
There wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of resurrection happening back then. Especially during Abraham's time. Okay, there wasn't a whole lot of resurrection in the Old Testament. Few. Few things. Few things. But not what you see when Christ comes on the scene. As Bill Johnson said, he ruined every funeral he went to. Right? So if you want to stay dead, don't invite Jesus to your funeral. Because he resurrects things. And not just the physical body. People, he's, if, he can, if he can raise people from the dead, what do you think he can do with your dreams and callings in your life? That is nothing for him. Listen, he not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the thousand hills. And he can, do, he can do anything he wants to, and what he desires to do is do a lot through you. Through you. The question is, is do you believe it? Or how much time do you sit away talking uh, like Moses at the burning bush, rationalizing why you can't do it or why he's not choosing you? You know? This should be a good message. This should be, I want this, hopefully this is landing and this is becoming a, a message of hope and not, you know, he's not going to hit us if we don't have faith. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm, I won't hit you with my stick. I promise. A good shepherd doesn't beat his sheep. He leads them. Sometimes he gets behind and pushes. Okay. So he's tested. <coughs> so here's the thing. The promise that God gave him was like, listen, I'm going to give you a son. Congratulations. Well, that's okay. I mean, I, I, that's not too hard. I, the wife's old, but she's got handmaidens. That's not what he was saying, was it? The promise was going to come through your covenant with your wife, not through a cultural okay it may be okay in the culture to sleep with the handmaiden of your wife so you can have children, but it wasn't the kingdom's idea for things to happen. And this is what we battle a lot too. We battle a lot with what's culturally okay against what is kingdom straight. You know what I'm saying? And so don't let what's culturally okay get in the middle between you and what God is establishing through the kingdom in you. Okay. So... Get out from the country, right? <coughs> He's getting out, and then the next thing you know, hey, take your son. And the Lord reminds him, your only son. And why does he say your only son? Because he does have another son who's about 13 or 14 years old that came from the handmaiden, right? But in regards to the kingdom, in regards to what God was going to do, that son wasn't it. And it was culturally not okay to choose the second son to inherit everything. But from God's point of view, this is what I said was going to happen, and I'm not going to let you mess that up, and I'm not going to let culture get in the way and mess it up. So I'm going to take your only son in regards to the promises of God. And here's what I'm going to do. Since you had a problem understanding this when Sarah offered you the handmaiden, I'm going to make it really clear. Take your only son and put him on the altar. Take your only son and put him on the altar. Take him up to Mount Moriah 
and do. And so he's like, well, I thought, why would God do that? Well, he was testing him to see, yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, I believe that too. And maybe also making sure that we don't allow culture to get in the way of, of anything. Because now Abraham's got it. Because Hebrews says that, listen, he's going to take the knife. He's going to do what he has to do because God told him to, even if he doesn't understand. Remember when God said, I'm going to use Sarah? But he's like, oh, I know that, but here's the other one. And that seems more logical. No, no, it's not. All that did was cause a lot of trouble in their family. All that is, all it caused is one massive domestic dispute. Brothers hating brothers. And if you ever talk to police officers, one of the worst things they have to do is go to a domestic dispute. Because all hell, if you're calling the cops about your family, that means all hell is broken loose and somebody's gone crazy or more than one person has gone crazy. And now the cops have to come up and show up and try to establish peace. The Middle East is really a big domestic dispute between brothers. Lines of. And it was called because we thought it was better to do the cultural way instead of the kingdom way. They don't mean God don't redeem it, though. And it doesn't mean that the other son doesn't have a promise to fulfill. He does. You heard that with Leif. <coughs> There's a promise of goodness from the Lord for the Muslims, not destruction. The Lord is not wanting to destroy anybody. The Lord is not wanting to lay waste to nations. The Lord is wanting to redeem nations. Every tribe, every tongue. You get it? That means nobody is left out. There's going to be a representation of every tribe. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved, but there's, from the entire tribes necessarily, there's going to be people that are going to you know, not <coughs> believe it or not in it, but there's going to be somebody hopefully multiple somebodies from every single tribe and tongue that was on the earth going to be represented in heaven. That doesn't, he's not excited about destroying people. He's excited and he's geeked about redeeming people. And he gets really excited and he really shows up in a community of believers that get just as geeked as he does about going out and ministering to people about his son. He gets really excited about that when his church when his people declare his name okay so uh offered up uh isaac (coughs) (coughs) because he believed at that point that no matter if the knife would have come through isaac that god was so powerful that he could redeem it because he he knew god wasn't a liar he saw the fullness of the glory of God. And then you go down here, you, Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau. Talk about fathers and sons, right, in the Bible? Man. Whew. You get now? Uh, was, uh, when he says that, <laughs> that he's reversing the curse, that uh, he's going to return the hearts of the son to the father, the hearts of the father to the son. Why? Because it's all jacked up back here, down here. The family lines are just sons hating fathers, all this kind. He said, listen, we're going to do this or I'm going to strike the earth with a curse, one or the other. I would rather see sons and fathers and hearts reunited. Amen? All right, and I believe that's God's desire too. So if I have that desire, that's God's desire, and you have that desire, that's God's desire, then all we need is a couple people and it shall be established. Imagine what it's going to be like when we have an entire 
body of church and churches, us and a bunch of other churches throughout the world that are believing the same thing. What do you think is going to happen? Fulfillment. Revival. Okay. Look at this here. Uh, okay, so Isaac uh, <clears throat> blessing uh, Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on staff. Oh, maybe that's why. Worship, leaning on a staff. Okay. Um, by faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instruction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because the child was beautiful <coughs> and they didn't fear the king's edict. Okay. I'll stop there for a second. Joseph is so full of faith. Would everybody say that Joseph is probably one of the, not even top ten, I'll say like top three, of people whose faith was tested? Yeah? Put him in top three. Maybe even number one. I don't know, but he's top three, right? That guy went through some almost hell on earth, right? Having these dreams that God, that were God-given about what was going to happen and having to go through, you know, slavery and prison for years, not, 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 not having his character destroyed by it. See, that's what faith does. Faith, when it becomes alive, is married to your character. And so that even when your faith becomes tested and you're put in the prison or you're put in all these different kinds of things, whatever's going on, your character is not going to suffer by your circumstances because it's strengthened by your faith. Am I making sense? And so you can't say, I have this great amount of faith when you don't have a whole lot of character. What happened is, is you're, you're still in the growing pod. <laughs> and so your faith is growing, but what has to grow along with it is the character. So now, what, you know, so now when uh, you went to the grocery store <clears throat> and they paid you too much money in return, you know, you got too much change back. You know, in the old time, it's like, it's only two bucks, who cares? You know, you walk out, I'll get a, back in the day, I'd get some popcorn. Now you have to take out a loan to go to the movies. But anyway... You know, you just keep that change. It didn't matter. It wasn't worth the, worth the walk back, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. You get saved. And now all of a sudden, that $2 becomes a big thing, doesn't it? It's your faith being tested and to see if your character will match. You see, your character has to be right there with your calling. And I'm not talking perfection, please. I'm not talking like a type of holiness that's unachievable, I'm talking about just responding to the Spirit of the Lord. And yes, we make mistakes. And what happens when we, when we, when we make mistakes? What happens if you got home <clears throat> and all of a sudden you didn't look at the change, but you found out you got paid more money than you should have and you've gone all the way home? What do you do? You can say, well, you know what, I'll just get it in the morning. Okay. But you know that that cashier still got to check out that thing and she's going to be $2 short and her till. And working in retail, I can tell you this, that'll raise some flags. So now this lady is, has made a mistake and she's looking for somebody to redeem it. Do you get what I said? We are people of redemption. She made a mistake. And even though we're tired, and even though I drove 12 miles, I'm going to drive 12 more back. 
because my character is involved. <clears throat> we walked out of a certain retail store because we were being taped, and um, they didn't grab all the stuff in our cart. It's this little thing. I don't even know what it was. It's this little thing, and we got out there, and I don't seriously. They would not have missed it, right? But the, your faith doesn't let you just walk out with that stuff. I get all the out the car, and I'm loading. I'm like, come on. In my flesh, I'll say, well, you know what? She didn't do her job, so on her. You should have been paying more attention, right? You're getting paid a lot of money <laughs> to count this, make sure everything in my car is. So you know what? You made the mistake. You're going to live with it. I know that sounds silly coming from the pulpit. But the only problem is, is there's a lot of that in the congregations of churches today. So I had to go back in. Now, I will admit, I did not wait in line. I went right to the return table. And I said, hey, listen, uh, they uh, forgot to charge me for this. I'm like, oh, okay. Took care of it. Because you, if you're pursuing something with God, those things cannot be left, right? And so you have to, and there's other things as well, too. I'm not saying that we need to have an altar call, and now it's all going to be over. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, when I, you or I or anybody fesses or messes up, then they got to take it to the king. Because they're, he, he's there. Was it first John tells us, right? That we have this mediator? He's like, I, I, I urge you, do not sin. But if you do, or when you do, <clears throat> take it to the king. Don't let that stay. You know, don't let that build something in you. Because the next time it's going to be easier to not pay back what you owe. <coughs> and when your character suffers, your calling suffers. Amen? Okay. So, so Joseph kept his character through all of it. Didn't mean he didn't have down days. He had down days. Didn't mean he didn't get frustration. He didn't get frustrated. He just knew where to take it to. He didn't take it to the other prisoners. He took it to the Lord. Hey, you know I'm human, and I'm, I'm frustrated about my circumstances. Because here's what the Lord's going to do. He's, he's going to strengthen your faith. The prisoners are going to strengthen your circumstance. Do you hear me? Who you go to will determine what is strengthened in you. If you go to the world, your circumstance will be strengthened and your offense will be validated. If you go to the Lord, your strength, your faith will be strengthened and you'll have power <coughs> over the circumstance instead of have the, the circumstance having power over you. Come on, you, you see it almost everywhere you go. People who are under their circumstances instead of pressing into the Lord and into freedom, right? Anybody want to rise above their circumstance? Yeah, absolutely. Then go to the right people. <laughs> go to the Lord, go to the Lord, but also go to the people who are trustworthy and in the Lord that will look at you and maybe have compassion on your circumstance but won't let you play the victim in it. We'll rise above it. What happened was not good, but I'm not going to be a victim. But I am going to live in victory. Right? Doesn't mean you're not going to carry scars. <clears throat> but what you're not allowing is festering wounds in your spirit to become <clears throat> just poison. I love T.D. Jakes. 
in, in his, his whole thing about that, you know, when he's talking about offense and all this different kind of stuff. That's like you drinking poison and, and hoping the other person dies from it, right? Absolutely. Don't drink it. Okay. <clears throat> so Joseph... Uh, now Moses, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, hidden, right? Uh, look, what has, look what happens here. Uh, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't. That's what happened to me. I was so beautiful. My parents just had, could not let go of me. Isn't that right, Dad? No, it's not right. Okay. His character would not allow that to go forward. Okay. So. You look at by faith Moses, right? Born hidden by his parents. They didn't fear the king's edict. And don't you either. Fear is a big thing. Faith is the currency of the kingdom and fear is the currency of the demonic. Fine line between them, but they're both currency and where you're going to live is that's the currency you're going to exchange for. So if you're going to pedal around on the dark side, you're going to inherit, you're going to need fear for currency. That's where it comes from. But if you're going to deal in the kingdom, the currency is faith. It matters no matter what the enemy tries to do to you, you're, going, you're not operating by fear, you're operating by faith. Faith can move mountains, people. It can certainly move the demonic or the threats and, and change your circumstances. The changing of your circumstances is not necessarily changing what has happened, but it's the changing of the atmosphere around it. All right? So you can have an atmosphere of the demonic, or you can have the atmosphere of the Lord, and you are the one who decides what that's going to be. <clears throat> this is why when some people walk in the middle of a situation, then maybe all this, the atmosphere changes because they're carrying the kingdom with them in it. If you're not carrying the kingdom, you're not going to affect circumstances. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God, you can walk into a circumstance that you don't own, that somebody else does, but because you've got the kingdom in you, it changes them as well too. And then you know what you get to do? Tell them Why? Because what I have found out <clears throat> is that people may mock you, but when their son is sick and maybe dying, they're going to be calling you up for a miracle. Even, uh, you know, cessationists, I love them, who believe that God, things have changed and this is how God works. When they're faced with life and death situations, a lot of them are looking for a charismatic. Why? Because they need God to do something. And the theology that they, that they have embraced will not change their circumstance. Now, I'm not being mean here. I'm just saying, I'm just, these are things that are, that are true. I've experienced these things. Okay? So when you walk into a situation, no matter what it is, because you're carrying the glory of God with you, it will change the atmosphere. This is why when you look at what Jesus did when, he, when deliverance was happening on the field, is Jesus didn't go looking for demons, right? Because they didn't want to be where he was. But all of a sudden, a dad is bringing his son. It's like, hey, my son is a demoniac. Oh, really? Right? Walks into the situation... And what happens? They, they fall before him. Situation after situation after situation of deliverance in the Bible is not about spitting, honking, or... It's, it's about the presence of God confronting the demonic. And the demonic knows who he is. 
and they don't want nothing to do with him. They're begging him not to send them to the pit, right? You know this stuff is real. You look at the detail in it. Guy is bound by chains that no human should be able to break. And supernaturally, he's under the, under the demonic influence, right, breaks these chains. So that produces fear in people because they don't have anything to answer the demonic supernatural until the presence comes on the scene. And Jesus is not afraid of a broken chain. He walks onto the scene, it's like, and they're begging him. So when you carry the presence of God in you, this, that's the power you carry. You walk into situations and one of two things are going to happen. Now it's true, you're human, so a, a demonic may try to intimidate you a little bit and roar like a lion, but he's not a lion. You don't have to be intimidated by that. Now, it's supernatural and you know it, so it's like, it's like ooh, but the reality of it is, is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so when you stand in faith in front of whatever the enemy's trying to throw at you, you don't have to take that stuff. You don't have to receive or sign for that package. And you don't have to spit, snarl, and pump yourself up. You don't have to let them spit, snarl. Don't let them bring glory to themselves or, or intimidate or make somebody look foolish. Mm -mm. you shut that stuff up you shut it up quick you speak and and you you go in humility you don't go in pride when you walk to the situation you are the agent of redemption and salvation so so is saved healed and delivered so when you speak the words of Christ and somebody receives Christ you have brought redemption there and they, they will experience Saved, healed, and delivered. This is what the Bible says. And if something, if, if something that is happening in our lives is not what the Bible says, then guess what? We haven't aligned ourselves correctly. <clears throat> well, a lot of times we try to explain some stuff away. All right. Let's get back on track here. So Moses, he ref- here's the thing, though. <clears throat> so uh, an interesting story. And uh, you all remember when Don Allen came? a uh, while back <clears throat> and um, told me uh, an interesting story uh, we went out to eat I may have told you this before but bear with me it's a good story what he said was is he had this uh, lady who was in a wheelchair that was coming through the uh, a healing line and he's like what happened she's like well they did an operation on my back they accidentally cut a nerve and I'm never going to be able to walk again and the lawyer has told me you're going to get a lot of money this is an open and shut case. There's not even something we're gonna, you have to barter on. They did it. We know it. They know it. You're going to get a lot of money. He asked her, well, you want to be rich or do you want to walk again? She said, well, what good is all that money going to do me if I can't walk? He said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. But when you get up out of that wheelchair and you walk, you can't sue them. You can't go back and sue them if the Lord has healed you. And she said, okay. They prayed for her, and she got up out of that wheelchair, and she walked. Now, here's the thing. She went back to her doctors. And the doctor comes in and said, look. Look, this was cut. This stuff doesn't grow back. 
This is not supposed to happen. And she's like, well, I'll tell you what happened. And so here's what happened. She's like, I'm not going to sue you, which probably made them very happy because they had their own proof (laughs) that they did it, right? So all I want you to do is when you write this down in the medical journal, is that it was a miracle from God. Done deal. So here it is with you. If God is, is going to do something with you and heal your situation, you can't be holding on to the things that got you through in the past when you had that situation. You gotta let go of one thing to receive the other in that circumstance. And her healing was dependent upon that. I can't go back and say, and keep living off a disability that God had healed me from. And some people are so married to, to one side of this that they're not willing to embrace what God wants to do for them. Spirits of infirmity. Rather keep you sick than see you healed. Rather see you living off that paltry whatever disability you're getting than see you saved, healed, and delivered and walking into the new life that God has for you. You see, Moses couldn't leave Egypt and still keep Egypt with him. As a matter of fact, while he was there, the Bible said this. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why is that? Because I can't, be, I can't align myself with my people while I'm still living off the benefit and the cruelty of the oppressor. So he's like, I'm going to leave this and not associate myself with this. And I'm going to latch on to this over here. What's God? And so he's looking at this. He says, um, they say, so he did not, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach of the Messiah to be greater than the wealth and treasures of Egypt since his intention was on the reward. Now listen to this. Listen to this. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. When you go back to Exodus, remember when he, he killed the, the Egyptian, right? He left out of fear. This is not talking about that one. This is about talk when he left the second time and took two to three million people with him. Because that was the time that Egypt truly left him and he left it behind. You cannot, you cannot allow fear to be your motivation for moving. And God wasn't going to allow him getting out in fear to be the definition. As a matter of fact, he's going to bring him back into that circumstance. He's going to make him do the plagues and all this different kind of stuff. He's not going to give in. He's not going to run in fear. He's not going to, and now, listen, it's not just fear of the king. It's now all, finding motivation of all these people to follow him. Right? Now he's equipped to lead his people out of bondage. See, he wasn't before. He's too full of fear. He gets on the backside of, a, of a, the desert, gets his mind clear, has one, one. He's 40 years on the backside of a desert. He has one meeting with God at a bush. 40 years of things being over, one moment meeting God in a bush, and everything's changed. And God has to get that out of him. All the excuses, all the reasons. Listen, you have got to get Egypt out of you. 
That is what is your sanctification today. Many of us are trying to embrace the kingdom while we're trying to keep the pleasures of what oppresses it or oppresses you. You gotta lay hold of that by faith. I am not going to keep Egypt in me. I'm gonna get Egypt out of me because I want the kingdom to have everything. And he considered, look at this, he, he was not afraid when he was leaving with the people. Now the people were afraid. Every time something came up, they're freaking out. But the leader wasn't. Why? Listen to what it says. Um, the reason he wasn't afraid is because he had seen the invisible one. The Bible talks about he had, he had seen God. When you come into that presence, the fear of the world leaves. Oh, the fear of the Lord remains because he's awesome, but the fear of the world flees at his presence. And Moses, when he had that confrontation with God, he is seeing the invisible. This is why whenever there's problems, he's running to the presence, right? Why? Because he doesn't want to allow the contamination of fear to get into his leadership. So he goes to the one who is above all fear and, and can cast out anything, any fear he wants and gets in his presence. And the presence of the Lord gives him the strength and the power to lead as he's supposed to lead. Did you know that faith can change your destiny? I'm going to end with this. Do you believe that? Not just salvation, but the faith to believe for things that it can change your destiny. Rahab is a harlot living in Jericho, living in the culture of Jericho, when she sees these spies and honors them by bringing them in so they're not going to be killed. She should have died when the walls came down and everything been destroyed. But because she put her faith in that, it changed her destiny. And now... A prostitute is in the line of succession of Jesus. Would you like faith to change your destiny? Your spiritual destiny? Because it can. And I think the Lord is waiting for it. And here's where we'll end. We've already had the altar call. You've received it. The word of God is confirming it. Now start the journey of living it. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.